Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that this episode is actually the first part of a conversation that me and my dad had with my cousin, Mindy Finkelstein, who survived an anti-Semitic mass shooting back in the 90s. In this episode, she tells us her story and we get into a discussion about um, gun violence in America and gun control. And in the next episode, which will be coming out in the next few days, we talk about white nationalism and anti-Semitism in the Trump era. And we also fall into a bit of a rabbit hole about what my dad calls live birth abortion. Just to give you a little something to look forward to. Enjoy. Testing, one, two. Okay, I'm on. I'm recording on my microphone. But that, and the phone is, I'm holding the phone to my head. <laughs> well, that's the price you pay for losing that dongle, bro. Okay, I could, I could do this, I guess. What a wonderful world. Uh, is it, it, how are your levels, Dad? Are they peaking? Do you see them on the monitor? Yeah, my levels are fine. And you're using the windscreen I got you? I'm talking into the windscreen. <laughs> you should see this, Mindy. This is a setup like I'm very like impressed. I'm in a studio. I'm very impressed. I really didn't think that Russ would have uh, set you up like that. I'm I'm impressed. It was a lot of uh, it was a lot of work and a lot of like psychological support to get him to do this. <laughs> Mostly just the technical stuff because after we record, he then has to take the card out of the recorder and he puts it into a card reader in the computer then wow. he goes on to dropbox right dad wow you use dropbox it's very complex it's very complex but um so i went and i bought a dongle i actually bought two because i was with my friend and so he wanted one so i bought two for the, for less than i buy less than buying two separately and i gave him his and i put mine in my pocket and I got home and my pocket's empty, and I don't understand it. <laughs> did you have other stuff in your pocket that? You... Yeah, yeah, I did, I did, and I. Because that's don't know. if you take the change, if you have change or keys, and you take know, it in, and you I know, take I know, it out, and you put it back in. I'm a fool. I thought of that when I put it in there, but okay. Let's just move along. Well, Mindy, Hi. welcome, welcome to the pod. Thanks. You're I'm so our first, excited. First guest on the pod. I feel very honored. It's a big to occasion. To be the Finkelstein trifecta, the first Fink- one. Finkelstein cubed this week. Um, well, I don't know, technically she's not a Finkelstein anymore. Uh, but here, here we go. That is true, <laughs> but I will say, um, when it comes to doing anything publicly, I use Finkelstein <laughs> to keep my right? uh, my husband and my child as far away from <laughs> from anything related <laughs> to this stuff as possible. Oh, it's probably God. smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but wait, okay. before we start, can I say something? Sure. Um, about your podcast? Yeah. I, I'm so impressed with it so far. I really think you guys are doing a good job. Thank but you. I, But one of the things that I think is missing is you don't talk about, like, your relationship with each other at all. Like, you guys talk about the political landscape and all the things that, you know, positive and negative. But I think it's really important to say, like, at the end that you love each other and your father and son and... I don't, you just never say that. And I think that's really important. And I will say as your first guest that you're my cousin and my uncle and I dearly love both of you, no matter what we say, that that's how I feel. Well, that's very mutual. And, and um, yeah, this is, this is good. We could be on opposite political sides of uh, issues and still be lovers. Uh, Love <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean that. This, that, that didn't come out properly. <laughs> It's a different, different oh boy, kind of, not, different not in our family. No, definitely not. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, well, see, I just follow along. Russ asks me questions and I answer them, and he doesn't ask stuff like that. Russ, I'm sorry. I'll try to do more of that. Um, so yeah, you're my cousin. My dad is my dad. You're his niece. Why don't you just t- <laughs> tell us a little bit about? <laughs> Do you want me to tell you how we're related? Because I'm happy to he, share. He really got into that personal stuff, Mindy. You did I, good. That's how it comes out when I say it. So yeah, why don't you give it a okay, try? Okay, I will. I will try to describe our family dynamic. So, my name is Mindy Finkelstein in this context, and you are my cousin Russ Finkelstein, and your dad, who's with us, Norman Finkelstein, is my dad, David Finkelstein's brother. 
And mm-hmm. I grew up in Los Angeles while you were up in San Diego. And I spent many, many, many uh, spring break weeks at your house where we would sit and watch um, three men and a baby on the loft. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we would go to kids and paint and we would go to the beach and play outside. And you ran around with um, naked with your yellow blanket. Yeah, naked. <laughs> So that is my relationship with you guys. Great. Um, That's good. Dad. Um, Well, I think Mindy should tell us about a little bit about her story so we have context for what we're talking about. Oh, good. Yeah. Mindy, what is it? Why do you think we brought you here today? You didn't just bring me on here because I'm your dear cousin? I'm really really upset about that. You're you're like my sister cousin, but you know. Aside from that. Sure, sure. So um, about 20 years ago, it'll be 20 years this August, in the summer of 1999, I was working at the North Valley Jewish Community Center in Granada Hills, California as a camp counselor. And I was 16 years old when a man by the name of Buford Furrow, who was a self-identified Aryan Nations uh, man, a uh, neo-Nazi walked into the Jewish Community Center and started shooting up the place, and I was shot twice in my right leg. And uh, he shot five of us at the Jewish Community Center, a 65-year-old woman and three young boys, um, five and six years old, and then myself, who was 16. We were all lucky enough to survive, but unfortunately, Furrow left that day, uh, carjacked a woman, and drove to another neighborhood, which is actually the neighborhood I grew up in called Chatsworth. And he saw a Filipino postal worker, got out of his car, asked to mail a letter. And when Joseph Aletto said, sure, uh, Buford Furrow pulled out a nine millimeter Glock handgun and shot him nine times um, as um, Joseph Aletto tried to run for his life and killed him. And then Furrow, a few days later, turned himself in telling the police that he was the person that killed the kids at the Jewish Community Center and that he was sending a wake-up call to America to kill Jews. And so I was at that point thrust into the public world as a poster child for both uh, anti-Semitism and hate crimes since I was shot because I was Jewish and he um, went to the place because it was a Jewish Community Center and I was also brought uh, into um, the world of gun control as a survivor of a mass shooting. Yeah. And like, I guess the the news peg here or the reason why it occurred to me to ask you to be on this week was because of what happened in San Diego. So I guess just in general, like, I'm curious, what is it like when these things happen for you? Like, is it is it triggering is it upsetting is it do you get angry like what is your how do these things affect you sure so they affect me in a few different ways and they've affected me differently over the years i would say um and and there's differences between just a a, um a gen i don't want to use the word generic but for lack of a better word generic uh, mass shooting that brings up certain feelings and then there's other feelings that are brought up when it's a hate crime, especially targeting Jewish Americans, like the one that took place in Pittsburgh six months ago and the one that took place in San Diego the other day. So I will say for mass shootings in general, um, about five to 10 years after the shooting that I was involved in was really difficult. I felt like um, I wasn't safe anywhere I went and it really brought me back to the day of when I was shot. And then the last five to 10 years is much more a, a feeling of helplessness and, and loss. Um, and over the last year, since I've had a child, it's completely different because now I, I struggle with the fact that my child will have to sit through these um, shooting drills in school in the future, which I never had to deal with. And having to share my story with her and every time things are brought up on um, on the news and um, these mass shootings happen, 
you know, that's my first thought is, wow, I'm going to have to explain why these things keep happening to my child. And my discussion will be very different than most parents. So they've, they've really been, uh, my thoughts have been very different over the last 20 years. Um, I will say it's been, there's been three moments that have been the most difficult. One, when Virginia Tech happened, um, and that was really because I was just graduated from college and um, and the students that were killed were still in college. And it really made me feel like it was happening to me all over again. Um, so that that one really struck me hard. And I went through a pretty intense um, depression and um, uh, and had some panic attacks at the time. And then when the Sandy Hook shooting happened, which um happened in 2012, uh, where the first graders were killed in Connecticut. That one was one of the worst days of my life, um, as I'm sure it was for many people. Uh, I was at work and actually in the middle of the workday, uh, heard the news and had a full-blown panic attack in my office in front of my coworkers, um, who knew what happened to me, but, you know, didn't really understand the depth and the gravity of the situation. And so um, I had to have somebody take me home and that was a really tough experience. And one of the biggest reasons it was so tough was because the images that were shown on the television were exactly the same images that I remember from the JCC shooting, which is, you know, five-year-old kids being escorted off of a school campus holding hands in a daisy chain. And that was exactly what happened to me. So that was the one of the worst days I've ever had. And then I will say the the shooting in Pittsburgh um, at the temple and the synagogue, uh, that was one of the first times that I felt like, what world are we living in? That nothing I've done has made a difference. Nothing anyone I know has made a difference in, and people are, are comfortable with hate. And I, I didn't think that that was the case anymore. And it, it really broke me. Yeah, I mean, I think like the way this conversation or the way I'm hoping it will go is that we'll talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously your story and thanks for sharing your story. I want to get into talking a little bit about like why these things happen. Um, and obviously, I think like there's there's the two main issues that 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 are clear in your case and ha- were also clear in the Pittsburgh shooting and also the shooting in San Diego, mm-hmm. which is like uh, a combination of anti-Semitism and white nationalism with guns. So I guess like, you know, ha- I, one of the things I've been most curious about is like, when it comes to the person that, that shot you, how much did you think or how much did you, were you curious about his ideology? That's a really good question. Um you know, I think it's different now than it was then. You know, I was 16. I was trying to kind of push past it, if you will. I wanted to go to prom. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to do all these things that a normal 16-year-old to 18-year-old would do. And so I did not think about him and his ideology as as maybe some others would. But I really struggled with that. And, and the moment that it really hit me, um, besides the actual day of the shooting... excuse me, the moment it really hit me was when I was sitting in a doctor's office and I was reading, I don't remember if it was Rolling Stone magazine or it was a magazine and flipping through it in the doctor's office in the waiting room. And there was an interview with a self-proclaimed neo-Nazi and in it, he used my name. He referenced me and he said, Buford Furrow failed that day. He should have killed Mindy Finkelstein. And I've also heard that when watching certain shows um, about when they interview some white supremacists and they reference the shooting that happened to me. And it's very personal in that way. Um, and, and the other side of it is the week after I was shot, I went to a, a, a the other side of my family's cousins bought mitzvah and I was in a wheelchair and there were a bunch of Holocaust survivors there and they like surrounded me and they kept putting their arms around me saying, you're one of us now you're one of us. And you know, to relate myself as a survivor of a hate crime to Holocaust survivors was completely out of the realm of imagination. But that's what the reality is. I mean, there's, there's 
a few of us, not always positively selected, that have some relation to people who have gone through some horrific things because somebody truly hated them deep down. Now, the person who shot me was brought up in a world that I tried really hard. I try now to not dive too deep into it because it's, it's, it's upsetting and I don't want to have any, um, I don't want to have any empathy for him. Right. I, I, I understand there are a lot of people who might feel differently and people feel that, you know, he might have remorse and, um, he might feel differently and doesn't hate people anymore or whatever that is. He still tried to kill me. So I cannot look into his past and feel sorry for him in any way because he was brought up in a, um, a tough situation to me, he still right. tried to murder me and I'm not comfortable thinking about him and, and his life in that way. Yeah. But like, did you ever think, um, like about his ideology or what motivated him to like go into the JCC and open fire that day? Was it, d- does it seem similar to, or remind you of the, the anti-Semitism that's, you know, caused these attacks uh, more recently, like the white nationalism we've seen in the last, you know, few years? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, it probably does. But I can't, what what I see today is, is frustrating and upsetting, because I'm much more knowledgeable about the world. I'm much more educated about the world than I was at 16 years old. I was super naive when I was 16. I didn't believe that stuff would happen. I didn't believe that people existed outside of the little bubble of the valley that I lived in. Um, but, you know, I'm as a much more educated and worldly person, as well as somebody who lived through that. Um, my perception of people who do those things now is very different than the moment I, I experienced it. And, right. and so it's really hard for me to compare. Now, do I think if Furrow, the guy who shot me, existed in a world today and I saw them, they would probably be very similar. What the difference is, is he he was considered like a lone wolf. He was kicked out of the Aryan nations. He was for being too crazy. You know, he, he basically existed in a world where people in the Aryan nations and neo-Nazis didn't necessarily act on the ideas that motivated them. That's very different than the world that we live in today. The world right. we live in today is these people are motivated. They're, they're, they feel really, really strongly in this, this hatred that they have been taught. And they feel that it's okay to come out of the woodwork and actually express it. And Furrow at the time was one of the only few who did. Right. And there's something about the way it's like manifesting now, which is like these online communities where people are increasingly engaged with an online world so it's not even necessary necessary like it's not even completely necessary for them to go to meetings or meet up with other people exactly and and in addition to that uh it seems now like a lot of these killings or attacks are inspired by other ones like the guy who shot up the synagogue in san diego said that he was inspired by the shooting in New Zealand as well as the right. one in Pittsburgh. Um, one of the things that they've brought up that I think is kind of interesting to look at is that the, the shooter in Pittsburgh wrote this manifesto online, uh, and a lot of it talks about replacement theory, which is also something that um, the people who uh, gathered at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville where that woman was killed uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago. They they were chanting, Jews will not replace us. It's a part of this like anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that says that essentially the Jews are working to uh, like usher in a, um, an influx of immigrants that they call an invasion in order to like deplete America of its whiteness and cause like a extinction of the white race um okay can i jump in here yeah go ahead okay first of all mindy i i really do appreciate you telling your story i know it's it's hard for you and and uh, i know you've told your story a lot (laughs) around the country but i know each time it it, it's painful to bring back um so we appreciate that but um 
you know, anti-Semitism has been around forever. I mean, it's been around thousands of years. It, it you know, it goes back to biblical times. Um, but you're right. There's a, it seems to be, I don't know if there is, I haven't looked at statistics, but it seems to be on the rise. Um, I, I hear people saying it's on the rise. Um, but, um, and I think the internet's a big part of that because it's on the rise not just in this country, but around the world. I mean, in France and, you know, a lot of countries in Europe, it's, it's, a, it's becoming a problem, Germany even. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to deal with the fact that it's on the rise because it is a horrific thing, but I think that it's being acted upon it seems more and more, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, we've gone through, the, the, our ancestors went through pogroms and all of that, and we, you know, the Holocaust. I mean, this is not a new problem. But the, the um, Anti-Defamation League said that uh, anti-Semitic attacks tripled in 2018 from the previous year. I can believe that. I can believe that because I think it's, it's happening. It's a worldwide thing. Well, I'm, um, I'm going to jump in and just say I, I agree with you. It's... It's not a new thing. It's obviously what happened to me happened 20 years ago. The Holocaust happened, you know, things happened over time. Absolutely. I think this new wave and here within this country alone, um, with the ADL saying, you know, it's tripled in 2018. It's it's not only that, but the and I I mean, this might jump ahead to where we're going to go at some point. But um, what happened to me and what happened in uh, Poway in San Diego and what happened in Pittsburgh these people have access to guns to be able to carry out their efforts much quicker and much more powerfully than a lot of people did 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago in this country. And it's making things a lot easier for people who hate so intensely. And, and I'm it, grateful that the guy in Charlottesville, I mean, I'm not grateful that he had a car, but I am grateful that he didn't have a gun. Sure. And you look at the weapons that they're know, using. I don't know the, that guns are more accessible today than they were 30, 40 years ago. I think 30, 40 years ago, there really wasn't a lot of gun control at all. I think today you have a lot more gun control than you had back in time. But, but I think it's easier now to buy. Like there is that meme that has been going around uh, the last few days that essentially it's like a list of all of these mass shootings and the gun is always the AR-15. Yeah. Like in a slew of these shootings, the AR-15. The ownership of the AR-15 has skyrocketed, skyrocketed. since the 90s, since the early 2000s. So it's... Right. I mean, there's millions of them out there. Um, yeah. And if you take the amount of hate crimes or, or even mass shootings, forget hate crimes, but just mass shootings alone... Um, yeah, they're being that gun is being used, but um, I, I don't I don't think it's more accessible than it was. I, I I just think there's so many of them that you're never going to be able to stop it. Well, the AR-15 in particular is a lot. There are a lot more of them now than there were 15 or 20 years ago. Well, yeah, you're probably right because of the technology. I don't know that they and the market know, they've been marketed. They've been that marketed way. like crazy. Mm-hmm. They're marketed as a toy. They're and essentially, marketed as a really fun toy. Well, and, they almost look like a toy. Right. right. And the reason why the, they're so attractive to someone who's going to do a mass shooting is because of the amount of rounds they're able to fire in quick succession, right? So yeah. it's like, I mean, to Mindy's point, like, it's troubling to think that guns like that are available to anyone. Uh, and, and you got to ask yourself why we live in a country where, uh, you know, in most states you can just go into a gun store and buy uh, pretty much, an, I mean, a semi-automatic weapon that you can very easily turn into an automatic weapon. You can go on I, Facebook I don't, I don't, and do That's it. not necessarily true that you can just go in and buy them. you got to go through a waiting period. But you don't have to go through a waiting period in most places. Well, we live in California where you do, but in most places you, you don't at all. And that's the scary part thing is we have state laws and we happen to live in California where the state laws are strong, but we also live next to states that don't. And the gun that I was shot with was brought in over state lines. So I wasn't shot with an AR-15, but I was shot with a a semi-automatic 
uh, it's like an Uzi replica that doesn't even exist in this country anymore called a Norinco, but it, it crossed state lines and he was able to do that. He came from the state of Washington and that he didn't get it here in California, but he got it at, um, through the gun show loophole, which is a, but, a really but that's big the, deal. That's a loophole. That's a loophole that's everywhere and it shouldn't be. You're right. Right. Um, that should be closed. But I, I think the, I think the federal requirement for a three day waiting period to check the federal, um, weapons i don't even know what they call it but the background check system yeah the background checks yeah i think that's national i don't think that's statewide a, a I think background check is not in a completely there is a loophole right so it's the gun show loophole it's online loophole um and it's uh individuals can can basically sell to each other right that's correct a loophole. and that's another loophole. that's a like, that's a big loophole. the loopholes i agree with you 100 percent. the loopholes need to be shut um but um, but why? I mean, also, I don't know if anyone's a, is is there did this guy not see the irony in using like a replica of an Israeli weapon to do an <laughs> well, anti-Semitic he's... attack? I, mean, I don't know clearly, if he's the smartest person. <laughs> clearly smartest he's not. But yeah, but, I mean, that is a little bizarre. But it begs the question. It was Dad, a Chinese replica, I think. Yeah. Go ahead. There, there, there you have it. It's like a. <laughs> His worst nightmare. Yeah, col- collaborated on making that weapon. Um, what is the necessity to produce thousands and thousands and thousands of semi-automatic weapons in the first place? When it came to the tobacco companies, they had their moment of reckoning where uh, there, it, it became like an issue of public health, where they knew that they were producing something that. The public was using in a way that was detrimental and taking lives. They're, they're still producing. They're still producing cigarettes, tobacco. Sure, the government but, didn't come in and the government didn't come in and tell them you can't. Um, the no, government but they went out, the government went out and advertised how harmful it is and got people to stop buying. That's a different. That's a different approach. And they place a lot of restrictions on like how it's bought, how it's sold. Well, uh, to prevent it from getting sold to children, of course. Right, but I guess my point is... Well, is they like, don't do that with guns. They don't prevent it from being sold to children. Well, you can't sell a gun to a child. No, but you can market it to a child. You can't market um, cigarettes to kids anymore. That's a huge That's a huge deal, but you can definitely market guns to kids. Why? Know, nobody, can, nobody can sell them one, so... Why you know. does someone need to own uh, an AR-15? A I civilian. have no idea, but I'm not going to stand in the shoes... I'm not going to stand in the shoes of somebody who you know, decides they want to have one. I mean, if the guy is, you, you figure all of, all the millions of those guns that are out there, Russ, how many have been used in crimes is minuscule. So yeah, but we need, to what we need to do, a point what we that need you to do is, the other is, day, Uncle Norman, is yeah. one life is one life too many. So it's been that's used true. in mass shootings. That's true. So if it's but, a gun that's continuously used and is a choice of mass shooters, why do we keep producing it in this country and marketing is a toy? Because they keep producing cars, and cars kill so many more people than guns. But gar- cars are used to get from place to place. Guns are used to kill. There's two very no, different guns things. guns are used to hunt. Guns are used guns for Guns are used sport. to hunt, which is killing, number one. No. Uh, okay. Guns are used guns in are sport. Used for, guns are used for sport. Is Okay. And guns, guns, you have a Second Amendment right to own one. Absolutely, but in the Second Amendment, it does say well-regulated. And you also said that you know, restrictions come, I think you were talking about uh, the other day when I was listening to your podcast, you were talking about um, the border and Russ said something about changing the Statue of Liberty and you said, no, you're not going to change it, but there has to have restrictions. I see trees. Um, so uh, sorry if there, if there was an awkward edit there. Or uh, an interruption in the broadcast. My dad uh, hadn't charged the. Uh, my dad's audio recorder ran out of batteries. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for pinning it on me. It should be pinned I mean, on you. It's your yeah, fault. we're all in separate <laughs> geographical locations, so. It's you know, amazing you technology, is all I can say. It is until the batteries run out, you know. Yeah. And then we talk yeah. for another hour afterwards, and then we figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that was my fault. That part. It really is like every film and audio person's worst nightmare is is 
like losing something that's been recorded. So now you've experienced that. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good feeling. Yeah, I'm glad I feel like everybody else is my nightmare. So, uh, what, so where, anyway, where did we where did we leave off? Where 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 was it when it dropped off? Um, all of my brilliance, saying, all of my brilliance was out there. I know. He, yeah, I think he, I think he did it on purpose, Russ. You think you think he just like realized it wasn't going well for him yeah. and he just stopped recording? Exactly. Oh my god! And it was like, was, how long? I was kicking I've been ass. eating shit for about the last half hour. So I I'll was just... kicking ass, and then it just went away. I think the last thing my dad said before uh, before we lost the uh, signal yeah. was he gave a false piece of information, which was that. Cars kill way more people than guns do. I don't give false information. <laughs> oh, no? No. No. One of the things that we, we might have missed that you talked a lot about was the fact that suicide deaths shouldn't be counted. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think when, it, when you're talking about the 33,000 people that die from gun violence every year and suicide is the majority of that, we should absolutely be recognizing that. Why? Because people who want to commit suicide will, regardless if they have a gun or a knife and they can slit their wrists or medication they can overdose on or even jump off a bridge or a roof. They do many other ways. They absolutely so, do many other ways. But we, we there is studies that show that many people who attempt suicide other than through guns actually regret their decision if they live uh, to be able to, to share that. And with guns, they actually end up committing suicide because they have access to be able to do it in a quick fashion. So somebody and, so somebody on his way down from a 30-story building is thinking, oh my God, I'd like to change my yes, mind now? there's a movie actually that <laughs> how talks have about they, that. A guy that how jumped have off they the interviewed? They, they, they interviewed a guy who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived and he regretted his decision. And that's he's alive one, to tell the tale. one person. That's just anecdotal. Dad, that, it's... People who study suicide, I mean, talk to Brian, who's my brother, uh, Your who did, son. A, did, did some work on this issue creatively and otherwise. Uh, part, of the, the part of the suicide uh, that makes a big difference in the outcome, whether a person goes through with their plan or not, is the availability and the readiness they have to enact their plan. You know, it's, it's the availability of a gun increases the likelihood uh, that they'll go through with the attempt. Uh, I, I, we have to disagree, so let's respectfully disagree on that and move on. Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, we're, uh, laughing, we're laughing at suicide. That's terrible. It Mindy. is terrible. Mindy, it's stop. Ter- <laughs> well, I don't think we're laughing at suicide so much as like your uh, unwillingness to unwillingness to recognize. Uh, science and facts, but no, know, no, no. People who want to commit suicide, if they want to do it, if they're, uh, pardon the pun, but if they're dead set on doing it, they're going to do it. But you don't see how having a gun. How many like, people? In their drawer how is many make it more people? Likely? How many people uh, would uh, not commit suicide if they didn't have a gun? That committed suicide with a gun. How do we know those statistics? We don't. It's yeah, imaginary. It's a figment. Sociologists no. and people who it's study f- suicide talk about. Shit. Yeah, they talk they about look- it, but they don't have a way of knowing. Okay, I guess I guess you're I guess you're probably right then. No, no, and no, not, no. And not pro- the people, not the people who study these. No, things. No, probably I am right. Okay, well there you have it. Um, In tw- go ahead. Car crashes. Uh, uh, guns killed more people than car crashes in two, 2017. And related to what we're saying, suicides drove an increase in gun deaths from t- 2016 to 2017. Um, let me tell you, I, I, I'm a lawyer who does medical malpractice, right? I deal with medical mm-hmm. malpractice. There, there's been studies. The Institute of Medicine published a report in 1999 saying that they reveal, that's in 1999, 44,000 people at least, but maybe as high as 98,000 die every year due to medical errors in the hospitals. Yeah. So 
Why don't we deal with the medical malpractice issue? That's just, that's whataboutism. You're just completely deflecting from what one a, problem by what saying about, this. Whataboutism? Yeah, that's a new yeah. new coined term. Ay, ay, ay. It's basically I, a You guys are, neither one of you are millennials, but you're starting to sound like Actually, both of us are I millennials, technically. We're both millennials, Dad. Millennials what, what are born made, after 1980. Well, yeah. yeah, 1982. I'm the last one. See, I consider uh, Mindy. I, I, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm losing my marbles. Well, at least you I admit can, it. Yeah. That's because you're barely a boomer. <laughs> I just don't like that. It's a nasty sounding giggle if I ever heard one. <laughs> So here, okay, here are things that we talked about uh, in the last version that I think we should touch on. Um, the Second Amendment, right? The, we're ta- we were talking about like putting restrictions on different types of guns and why it is that someone would need to own, let's say, an AR-15, which is the gun that's repeatedly used in mass shootings. And I, what I, have, I mean, I think it's noteworthy that in the Second Amendment, the part that kind of is always overlooked by gun rights advocates is that the wording suggests that uh, the purpose of being able to have a gun is to organize a militia with the idea that it can rise up to protect itself against uh, an oppressive government. That's not. But the, I th- that's not the only reason. That's not the only. But it's reason. one. It, but it's but it's one of the reasons that's stated there. So by that same logic, if if you were going to organize a militia that was going to be able to topple the government or defend against an attack from the government, you would need a lot more than an AR-15. You need a rocket-propelled grenade. You'd need heat-seeking missiles. You'd need fighter jets. You'd need tanks. But yet we have laws that prohibit civilians from owning all of those things. If you had, if you had. A hundred million people with firearms, the government could no way win a war against them. They're not going to drop bombs on the own their country. So the government would just, I mean, the public would outnumber the government. I mean, look, uh, you know, revolutions have happened against governments where people um, threw rocks at tanks. So the point is, um, um, you Uncle don't Norman? need... We do yeah. have more people with guns than that. We have 393 million guns in the United well, States. Well, then that's my point. So that's what we want. Why do we want that? That's what the Constitution permits. But it says well-regulated, and it's not well-regulated. Of course it's well-regulated. It should be The deeper. only regulations are what Russ was just saying. The only regulations are that we can't have missiles and we can't have bazookas. And we can't have machine guns. But we can have uh, a semi-automatic gun and a com- uh, component that you buy off the internet to actually make it into a machine gun. Let's let's talk about this for a second because a lot of people don't understand the difference. Okay, a semi-automatic gun is you have to pull the trigger each time you want it to shoot. An automatic, a fully automatic gun like a machine gun, you hold the trigger and it just keeps shooting, firing. I understand. Well, I know you do, but there's a lot of people out there who may not. So the point is, um, automatic weapons are totally illegal. But why would you, what is the point other than an arbitrary one, if what someone can do is they can walk into a nightclub and spray the place with bullets and take out dozens of people before they're stopped? We have to stop them from getting the gun. And how do we do that? We have better controls over the over the loopholes. We have better controls over the mentally ill. We have strong domestic violence laws that keep guns out of their hands uh, and background checks. So how do we... And, I, and I, I'm agreement with you in terms of limiting the uh, amount of uh, ammunition in a clip. So, so that's wonderful to hear. And... M- a question I have for you is why then do you not stand up with people on our side of the issue to say, listen, I'm a gun owner. I'm a Republican. I fully agree with the Second Amendment, but there needs to be limitations and here's what they are. A because you are the people, but they don't. Not enough and not the most vocal. There's very little good faith. 
I'm saying it right here. I'm saying it right here and now. I'm a Republican. I'm a gun owner. I'm a retired police officer. I believe in what I just said. I want to bring up something that's kind of an aside, but it's it's related. Um, so this guy shared the Finkelstein and Finkelstein uh, Facebook link, uh, and and he said LOL, and he shared the link. Anyway, he posted this uh, meme. He appears to be a conservative gun gun fan, Trump supporter. Uh, I remember gun fan, but okay, Trump supporter. Go ahead. I mean, if you look at his Facebook page, you'll understand uh, what I'm saying. But anyway, he posted this meme that says. Hey, liberals, better get your guns if you try to impeach President Trump from all your deplorables in Calvert County. Uh, And there's a lot of memes and things he shares along those lines. So the Second Amendment that guarantees the right to the well-regulated militia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that everyone has realized pretty much across the board that having a lot of people with a lot of high-powered weapons with the idea of having a militia isn't a great idea. So Wait, 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 wait. You started by saying everyone. Then you're limited to a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people on the right don't agree with you. What, that we shouldn't have militias that should rise up to attack uh, liberals? Should they impeach Donald Trump? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying... I don't think any... I mean, I don't think anyone in mainstream politics thinks that that's a good idea. Or at least I would hope not, you know? No, but the point is... People have the right to bear arms to defend themselves. Remember, when when the Constitution was enacted, there was a yeah. lot of distrust of central federal governments. I, I mean, I understand the origin. Okay. I'm just saying, like, now, if, you, if you're going to apply the Second Amendment as people who defend the right to own guns do, they, sw- they say that the reason why getting a, having a gun should be easier than getting your driver's license is getting your driver's license and driving a car isn't guaranteed in the Constitution. Well, like, who's going to stand here and say that we should, you know, civilians should be able to own rocket-propelled grenades and uh, fighter jets because that's what they're going to need in order to have a, a, a militia that's going to have uh, any I disag- veritable defense. I disagree with you. First of all, nobody's saying that. Second of I all, those that. things are not necessary. Those to, things to, are not necessary. Form a Do you realize that um, they just outlawed guns in Venezuela? They're outlawing guns. They outlaw guns in Germany just before um, but, but when then, the Nazis yeah, first but, took over. That's I, the way Venice, to. What? If you take away people's guns, they don't have a right to prevent to prevent uh, a, a horrific dictator like Hitler to take over. But who's saying that we're they're taking them away? Yeah, but also uh, like but, that. But but how are you going to stop? How are you going to get there's millions and millions? We all agree there are millions of what you call assault rifles out there. So what are you going to do? Say, well, they can have them? No, eventually you're going to say, no, we need to take those away. Why, why do you assume that? Because I hear Russ saying, oh, why do you have the need? Why is there a need to have an assault weapon? Why do you have a need to, to have this kind of gun? Who are you, Russ, to place your views in, 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 you know, in front of everybody else's? Everybody has their it's own the opinion. Same, I guess what I'm saying is it's the, it's the same logic, right? Whoever is the entity that decided that people shouldn't be allowed to have rocket-propelled grenades should be the same entity that decides whether or not you can have an AR-15 or whether you can have an AR-15 but not a fully automatic machine gun. Whoever makes those decisions and laws, which I assume is probably states... Uh, uh, Uncle Norman, I have a question. Sure. You're a gun owner, right? Yep. Okay. Um, do you have an AR-15? I do not have an AR-15. I feel I don't have a reason to have an AR-15. I don't need one. Okay. I'm not. I'm not uh, into the sport of shooting. I'm not into hunting. Um, so I have guns you, for my own protection. That's okay. So that's fine. So you just said you don't have an AR-15 because you're not a hunter and you don't use it for sport. You think an AR-15 is used for hunting? Um, it depends on what you're hunting, I guess. What hunting, what person that's hunting is going to use an AR-15? What would they be hunting? 
I don't know. I don't hunt. I don't know. But the point is, if somebody wants one, why should they not be able to have one? Because for the same reason that I shouldn't be able to have a rocket propelled grenade. No, no, the no. There's reason. a very different reason. Why? Why? Pe- why? Because a rocket pe- propelled grenade is illegal. Right, but why is an AR-15 not? (laughs) Listen, we've gone around about this. In, I don't know when, 1999, when they enacted the um, assault weapons ban, um, it lasted for 10 years. It sunsetted, like you said, Mindy, and it didn't reduce crime. It didn't reduce reduce murder. It didn't reduce mass killings. It it, it, It had no effect. So what's the point why do you want to take guns away from people who are legitimately owning them, not causing any problems, the illegal law, lawful people? Why do you want to or feel that the government has a right to take away or limit those people having guns because if it's not going to have any impact? It's not going to no have any purpose than killing multiple people at once. No, that's not true. So people tell me another it, purpose for it. Target practice. People who want to get adept at shooting. Target practice. I want to shoot a rocket-propelled grenade. For target I think practice. that would be really fun. <laughs> I want to do Russ, it for Russ, sport, and I want to hunt you're a being, buffalo. You're being, you're being absurd, okay? Nobody's no, saying... Nobody, no, it's not the same logic at all. How it's is the it same not? Logic. How is it not because, the same logic? Because... A rocket-propelled grenade can bring down an airplane. And an AR-15 can bring down 50 people. Or more people. Or more. And, and so can any automatic weapon. So Okay, so... Why or, is or for that matter, for, In the interest of public health, maybe it's worth considering that civilians shouldn't be able to buy those weapons. I think they've tried that, and the Supreme Court said, uh-uh. Okay. No, the Supreme um, Court said in the Heller decision that um, the uh, Second Amendment is absolutely, uh, uh, I don't know the exact definition of what they said, but um, that there should be uh, restrictions. And there are. But this particular weapon, the AR-15, you're saying does not qualify as deadly as a rocket launcher. Correct. And, and who makes that definition? Experts. And and if experts say that... Why, why are we so hung up with AR-15s? Because what, what is they the... are the gun most used in mass shootings that kill mul- multiple people at once. How many of those people who've taken an AR-15 into uh, a theater, a mosque, a synagogue, a church, anywhere, a school and use them against civilians, how many of those people have mental issues that they shouldn't have had the right to get any gun? 70%. This is also whataboutism. Whataboutism? Don't let them get the damn guns. Yeah, I mean, that's a part of what I think you guys have already agreed on, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's do that. We've tried the assault weapons ban. It had little or no effect. Let's try something that really will have an effect. Okay. Well, it seems like there's there's at least something that you guys agree on or that we all agree on that that seems to make sense. And unfortunately, there just hasn't been any progress on it in Washington. Well, that's because your Congress is inept. All they well, want to do is it, fight with each other and not resolve any problems. Part of the reason why that is, which is one of the things we talked about before, is the way that the NRA's um, talking points and their sort of sales pitch to the public has evolved over the years. Going back to like the 80s and 90s, it, they, they very much pushed the idea that they were hunting, that they represented hunters and people that had guns because it was a part of the American way of life. And it was a lifestyle thing. And a lot of people in rural parts of the country are used to having guns and they use them as a tool. Then it evolved into like the 80s when there was a lot of crime and the 90s where they were talking about like being able to defend yourself against home invasion. All of those, both of both of those points are valid. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who grow up with guns. And now. Sure. okay, fine. But now when you watch the NRA's. commercials and videos 
um, the what they're talking about is a lot more doom and gloom. They're talking about fight, defending themselves against an invasion from bloodthirsty MS-13 gang members and terrorists uh, and needing to defend yourself against, like, a larger uh, danger of, of, from, from, like, this terrifying, uh, scary world that these people are under some grave threat. That further justifies needing something like an AR-15. If you're gonna if you're gonna defend yourself against uh, uh, bloodthirsty MS-13 gang members who are pouring across the the border, uh, it seems like you know you want as high a powered weapon as you can get your hands. I on. mean, to the be bottom, the bottom line is, Russ, it, it it doesn't matter what the NRA says or what positions they may take based on changing uh, cycles of news and stuff you know they're not static they're trying to to bring their positions up to date but the bottom line is people are entitled to have guns you might not like it but that's the case the constitution says so but the, i think what russ is is driving to is the marketing tactics of the nra has changed so pretty what? dramatically. well of course here's, it here's has why. the marketing yes, mindy the marketing, marketing tactics, tactics have- of everybody come, has changed. Absolutely, because because the world has changed. Completely agree. Correct. But Correct. what's frustrating about the NRA marketing tactics is they've taken um, the the extreme uh, white nationalism presence in the United States, and they've marketed directly to them. So that concludes the first part of the conversation we had with my cousin. Um, stay tuned in the next couple days. We'll be posting the second half of this conversation where we talk about uh, white nationalism and anti-Semitism in the Trump era. And also we get into a bit of a back and forth about what my dad calls live birth abortion. If you're new here, please consider liking our Facebook page or following us on SoundCloud or subscribing to us in iTunes. If you have the podcast app, you can find us by searching for Finkelstein, Ampersand Finkelstein. And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a nice review, we'd appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world.